Hi guys, this is Keeping It Real with Bridget O'Neill here. The story behind the storytellers. I interview the biggest, best storytellers who also partner as hosts, comedians, and writers. You know when you hear a five-minute story on the moth and you think, hmm, I wonder what happened to them since. How has it changed them or affected their life? Who is this person on a daily basis? Well, I'll help you uncover those questions and we'll have fun along the way, I promise. Kevin Ellison is the host of The Risk Podcast, where people tell true stories that they never thought they'd dare to share. Guys, if you have not heard this podcast, do yourself a huge favor and listen because it's awesome. He also owns The Story Studio, which is a school for storytelling. You can find that at thestorystudio.org. Everyone, it's Kevin Allison. The best way to learn is by doing, you know, the best way to continue to make sure. So, for example, when I first told the first story I ever, I was doing a show when I was 39 years old in San Francisco. It was a show of characters, crazy, kooky, sketch comedy kinds of characters. where it was? It was at San Francisco Sketchfest at the Sketch Eureka Fest Theater. Eureka. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I was wondering if it was at the Purple Onion. Uh, no, <laughs> no, that was a fabulous place, though. Um, but no, I, so I, I was doing what I had been doing for the past 12 years after the state had broken up, and I was doing crazy characters on stage and was still getting nowhere with it. And Michael Ian Black came to see the show. Mm-hmm. He was another member of the state, my old sketch comedy group. And afterwards, he said to me, dude, I really felt like the whole audience wanted you to drop the mask, you know, like get rid of the act and start Mm -hmm. telling your own true stories. And I said, I said, that feels too risky. And he's like, that's the word. Cling to the word risky because that's what you should be trying to do. So it was that very next, I flew back home to New York and I called Margot Lightman. I was like, I know you have a storytelling show. Can I come tell a story at your show? I had never seen a storytelling show before, but I knew she had one. Right. So I agreed to tell the story with Margot about the first time I prostituted myself, that funny story that I was referring to before. And I was so terrified. I called her just before the show to say, I can't do this. And she was like, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Yeah. She's not going to let you out of it. (laughs) No. I said, it feels too risky. She's like, those are the ones that always do the best. So I came and I did it. And I felt I had a eureka moment that night. It was at the UCB Theater in Chelsea. Great. And Was it Strip Stories? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was a good show. And I felt afterwards like, that's it. I've got yeah. to create a show called Risk where people tell true stories yeah. they never thought they'd dare to share. The whole idea came to me in that moment. And so I learned to do storytelling by creating a storytelling show. Got it. So that was my very first story, and I already determined I'm going to create this thing that's that great. gives me deadlines, forces me to get up on stage on a regular mm-hmm. basis, forces me to be teaching other people how to do yeah. this. And so I'll learn by doing I bring my stories into my therapist now, and I often uh, will encourage people who do you char- are- Do you charge her? <laughs> is, there a, is there a door charge? <laughs> a ticket. <laughs> Two drink minimum. Um, yeah. yeah, and I often encourage people who are working on stories with us for risk. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'll, especially if, if it's a traumatic story mm-hmm. where, where you can kind of start to sense that this person has PTSD around what they're talking about. Right. I will make sure, 
do have you talked to a therapist about this before? Okay. Can you, or can you at least unpack this with a really supportive family member or friend right. as well? You know, like not just bringing it to us, to us, but yeah. but, but like working on. Yeah, because that's scary. Yeah, because you ideally you are unpacking stuff about yourself. You mm-hmm. know, like I I always find that even sometimes when I'll go into what I think are harmless, funny stories. Yeah, I will. Or just feel-good stories, spiritual stories. I'll put things together like, oh, that guy was manipulating me. You know what I mean? Or, oh, I shot myself in the foot because I deliberately wasn't seeing that. You know, like, once you put – our stories are usually like we have these – Random little memories that kind of still fuzzy, fuzzily play around in our heads. Mm-hmm. But when you start to think, well, wait, what was I doing the day before? Or wait, what happened between my making this decision and my taking this action? It starts to come back to wow. you. And and then you, you have to start to analyze it a little yeah. bit, you know? And, and that can be daunting sometimes. Of course. Yeah. You know, I was I was thinking about the time. There's one story you talk about. I, I believe it was in San Francisco. You were going for a job interview and they had a drug test. Right. Oh and maybe God. it was in San Francisco, but I know that you were, you just had smoked pot. You knew that your pee was going to be tainted and you asked, I guess, a friend of yours to pee. Like, oh my what God. What was that story? I, this was, no, this was in New York. This was uh-huh. in that 29 okay. years old area of me being at wit's end, like, oh, I've got to get a real job. And I had just been on on Fire Island with oh, a bunch of friends. Cherry Grove? Uh, no, or the, the pines. pines. The pines are so bitchy. I really like Cherry Grove. I'm sorry, <laughs> well, the pines I is liked, really fancy. I liked the enchanted forest between them where all the <laughs> sex happens. Is that called the meat hanger? Yes, the meat rack. The yeah. meat rack. Yeah, I always yeah, say yeah. the meat hanger, yeah. the meat rack. <laughs> so I had had a gaycation with a bunch of friends and had had probably cocaine, certainly meth. Jesus. Um, definitely, like, probably like LSD, definitely marijuana, uh, probably some, definitely, um, what do you call it, ketamine. So, yeah, I had everything in my In system. your bloodstream. I'm going to get this job because uh, a friend I is like. I thought you I'm going to get laid. I was like, yes, I'm sure you did. A I, lot. It was, that, so that was ju- July 4th. And my <laughs> friend is like, after the July 4th weekend, come and have this job interview at oh, my. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And it was, for men, it was for recruiting people to mentor children. <gasps> to mentor at-risk children. <laughs> I'm going to be the guy setting people, you know, mentors and mentees yep. for this, um, for this uh, or- organization. And so it didn't occur to me they would want a drug test. But of course they're going to want a fucking drug test. (laughs) Mentors and mentees, yes. So I show up, and the guy actually loves me. And he's like, okay, I want to hire you. There's just one last thing to do. And he hands me the thing to go get my drug test. And I was like, oh, my God. Who do I even know who doesn't do drugs? Kevin, couldn't you turn around to the guy and honestly said to him, dude, come on. The 4th of July just passed. I was in fire fucking island can you give me about a week like did you like i feel like at this age i might 
say that? I but was, then I'd be like, yeah, okay. Right. No, you know what? At this age, I think I would. I think I would. Uh, my eyes, his eyes dropped. Like he was looking down when he said it's time for it. But if he had seen my eyes oh, when he said that, he would have known right away. <laughs> so, yeah, I asked a friend for their pee. And it was so funny because this is before I knew I was kinky because I was hot for this friend. I, I was like, okay, I have one friend who's definitely straight laced, you know, uh-huh. doesn't do any drugs or alcohol or whatever. Might do alcohol, but no drugs. And uh, as he was handing me a, a sandwich baggie full of his warm pee, I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this is really hot. I mean, my friend was like, And you like, mean beyond you, temperature are, hot. You're yeah, like hot, hot. Yeah, like he was. He was like, you better promise me this is actually for a fucking drug interview. Uh, but yeah, no, it was so funny. I, pu- I put it in my taint to walk to the drug place because I was like, this has to stay warm. Taint. Yeah, well, I put it in my underwear, under my balls. I and- just love that you use that word because I love that word. <laughs> but by the time you I got You didn't put it in your there- thermos, you put it in your taint. I, well, well, the taint was Not a the swell place. bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't <laughs> now you're North Face. I didn't uh, put it up nervous. my ass, but I put it by my ass. Nice and warm. Yes. Yeah. And the nurse was like, "This." She she took it. Like like you know, I, I went into the bathroom okay, so and you poured did, it you into made, a cup. Oh, she took you it. made it in there. She said, "This is not human body temperature." She was like, uh, "You want to try again?" Shit. So Busted. I did try again for real, and. I was so worried. See, I, I was raised devoutly Catholic. Yep. Very, very Catholic. So to this day, I still need things to feel bad about. I still <laughs> desperately need to feel <gasps> guilty and, oh, my God, I'm in trouble. Yeah, what would we do without anxiety? Oh, God. It, it is so, you know, the, the other day, like just, just the other day, a friend didn't return my text for a couple of days and mm-hmm. I was like oh, I must have done something wrong <laughs> and then they finally like returned my sinned. text and they were like oh sinned. I was at I was camping you know. Kevin was doing the add to contrition <laughs> oh, God. so yeah so I spent three days freaking out that as soon as he got this drug test he was gonna be like this has everything of on course. it of course so I finally called him oh you did you came clean I did I called because your guy. pee wasn't his name was Steve. I said, uh, I have to tell you, I was in Fire Island. I might have done some stuff that's on the test. He was like, oh, like what? And I was like, Everything. well, I might have done some LSD and some meth and some ketamine. And, <gasps> and he was like, that's weird because I'm looking at your test right now. Oh, no. It was clear. And nothing is on it. I was like, oh, my fucking Christ. Wow. So much for being honest. <gasps> he was like, look, I like you. Okay. If you can promise you're not going to be doing any more of this. And I was like, oh, of course not. That is so last week. Right. <laughs> yes. Seriously. What happens in Fire Island stays in Fire Island, dude. <laughs> so I did. I was I was a person who got mentors for children for a while. Uh, but, you know, I did spend most of my time doing that job stoned. So... Okay, so that guy liked you. He went on a whim. Mm-hmm. He went on good faith. Yeah. See, that's, I wonder if that would, well, I guess it depends on the person. I'm like, I wonder if that would still happen. I think it still would. I think it does. I think that when people hire people, it really is much, much, much more about 
would I want to spend a good deal of time with this person? You know what I mean? It's true. I mean, that's why it's so frustrating in the entertainment industry. Like, I have a lot of social anxiety, and I'm not good at making sure I'm networking a lot and being Mm -hmm. out a lot and being a social butterfly. It's mentally exhausting because you have to pump yourself up to do it, and then you're actually in the – like in the middle of doing it it's it's kind of exhausting but and then you some hit your stride people just have such a knack for it and though when whenever know. someone is hiring for their show on comedy central or mm-hmm. netflix or whatever it might be they're, they they have to pretend that they have to ask for writing packets or acting auditions from all kinds of people yeah. legally they have to people have to go through that process but they're always going to be hiring their friends or people where they're like, oh, I got a real kick out of that guy when I was hanging out with him the other night at that right. comedy show. That's true. You know? Yeah. It's more that face to face thing. Yeah. It's the only way. And it's funny because on risk, I'm always so frustrated that how hard it is to get people to pitch us. And then I'll be hanging out somewhere and having a conversation with someone and I'll be like, oh, you should tell that story on the show. And they'll be like, I'll be glad to. And I'm like, oh, my God, have you never heard that I'm always looking for stories? And, you know, right. you're, you're, it's very funny, too. People do really need prompting because someone will be yep. like, oh, I don't know what I would tell about. You know, like, I guess I could tell the story about how I stubbed my toe the other day. And then later in a conversation, they'll be like oh my gosh, did you know that I overdosed on heroin while the house was on fire? And, you know, and you'd be like, wait, wait, no, that's the fucking story. story. (laughs) How did you not know that? So I've got a question for you. The theme has been Catholicism. Um, How does Catholicism play into your storytelling? Well, it's really, that is a great question because there is an episode of Risk called The God Problem. And it's about the first two times that I actually told a personal story in front of a bunch of people. And they were both in masses, in (gasps) church situations. Yeah, Were you an altar boy? I I was an altar boy. I was a choir boy. And I uh, was even, the Jesuits were trying to recruit me to become a priest when I was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, well, you know, I think that, that these particular Jesuits sensed that I was gay and that there was a creepy sort of, oh, he's one of us. Oh, wow. You know, like okay. there's something weird about that. It's it's funny. Like, it's funny how there's an unspoken thing in Catholic society. Like, mm-hmm. I came out to my mother when I was 18 years old, and the week prior— We had been washing the dishes together. You know, she was washing, I was drying, or vice versa. And she started crying. Mm. And I said, what are you crying about? She said, oh, I'm thinking of your uncle JC, my uncle who was a pastor, who was a Catholic priest. And she said, I was just thinking I feel so bad that he can't have a a partner or or have intimacy. And I was like, oh, okay. And then a week later, I came out of the closet to her. And then a week after that, we're doing the dishes again. And she says to me, have you ever considered becoming a priest? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I know what that's about. That's yep. the way that Catholics kind of understood it should be that, done. That's interesting. Yeah. 
So they correlated both of that, gay and um, priesthood. Hide it. Put it. Put it in that forever Isn't closet. That interesting. Yeah. 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 That's wild. Yeah. So, but it, the what what effect did it did the Catholicism have on me in terms of storytelling? I was very sensitive when I was a kid of that some priests were good at homilies and mm-hmm. some were absolutely miserable right. at them. And the homilies that I remembered were always when they threw a story in yeah, there. Yeah, a personal you know? story. Yeah. Connected it to themselves or something that was happening at the current, yeah. current time. Or even a fairy tale or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I, I, I really kind of paid close attention to that. And then when I was, uh, I think in the sixth grade, <laughs> I had this ridiculous incident where it's interesting because there is a gay angle to this, too. I was trying on my sister's clothes. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> and she had this little amethyst ring, mm-hmm. a purple stone ring that I put on my finger to, you know, go with the dress and the shoes and everything. You know, I was just, whatever, exploring. Yeah. And... <laughs> The ring got very, very stuck on my <gasps> finger. Oh, shit. And my finger started to turn purple. Oh, God. Now, my little sister was home, and I wasn't so embarrassed of it all to, like, reveal it to my little sister. But she didn't know what the fuck to do. <laughs> right. So we called my mom, who was at work. She was a, a nurse at a Catholic girls' school. Oh, my. Okay. Yeah. And... She was like trying to determine whether or not she had to come home. Mm-hmm. We we I was using a Butter. knife, a steak knife, to try to get it off. I, mean, I was using a knife sharpener, the little, little oh, electric thing with a no Flintstone butter. that goes. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I was definitely using butter and everything, and it would not come off. And my mom on the phone, she said, "Did you try the Memorare? The Memorare is a prayer to Mary." to the Blessed Virgin, mm-hmm. that people pray when they're in dire situations. I need this prayer. It's, <laughs> I need to know it. I, all I remember is, remember, O most gracious Virgin, that never was it known that anyone who implored thy help was left unaided. <sighs> so I prayed the Memorare, and that fucking ring came off my Lying finger. Off. <laughs> <laughs> now, That's amazing. Here's the thing. Obviously, the ring came off because of a half hour of butter and <laughs> knives and everything else, right? right? Um, or maybe I calmed down long enough while maybe. I was praying that it brought the blood vessels down a little bit or something like that. Um, so there was a con- contest in the sixth grade. Who can write the best virgin ver- uh, essay? Who can uh-huh. write the best essay about the Virgin Mary? So... That was the first time it occurred to me that even in an essay, if you bring a personal story into it, it's much more interesting than yes. just talking about ideas. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I wrote an essay and told that story, and the nuns were like, we love him. They loved it. So they wanted me to tell it in front of the whole school. <gasps> so that was uh, probably, I don't know how how big that That was probably only 300 people. How old were you? Uh, in the sixth grade, okay. however old that is. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know these I think things it's like anymore. 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but 
Yeah. This pattern repeated again mm-hmm. when I went to high school because I went with the Jesuits to Peru for a working with the poor sort of trip in my wow. when I was 17. You didn't go to Fordham, did you? No. I went to St. Xavier High School uh-huh. in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati is where I was born and raised. And... Went to Peru, had another experience that was very striking, and wrote a story about that. And then the Jesuits wanted me to tell that to the wow. whole school the next year in my senior year. That was 1,300 people. And that story kind of, like, knocked it out of the park. Nice. People who had been calling me faggot for the longest <sighs> time were suddenly like, dude, that was kind of impressive. Wow. You know, a lot of people ended up signing up for the next Peru trip because of my story. Wow. Yeah. So it was a very, very powerful experience. Now, disentangling myself from Catholicism took a long time, too. Well, it's so, you're so embedded. Yeah, it's, it's very. It's, it's, it takes a hold on you. There's a fabulous book from the 80s mm-hmm. called Once a Catholic. Wow. And it's interviews with all sorts of prominent people. All I remember is that George Carlin and Frank Zappa and Martin Scorsese are in there. But there's a lot of people also who still, well, I think maybe Scorsese might still consider himself a Catholic. Um, But, yeah, it was an interesting. I mean, that that comes into play into his films. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I think Patience was, uh, I haven't seen it, but I Mm -hmm. think that was another one of his films that felt super, super Catholic, people said. Yeah. But yeah, the book was all about how whether or not they still consider themselves Catholic, they've been psychologically marked by this thing. Right, and you feel so guilty if you sway another way and think something other. There shall be no false gods before me. So it's like you're constantly dealing with guilt or if you want to even question yourself, like, oh my God, I can't question myself. Like, it is very hard to kind of, like you said, untangle from that, but I still think it embodies a lot of my storytelling, the makeup of who I am. I mean, I'm freer now a little bit, not really yeah. from it, but it's just, it's it's there. Oh, yeah. And it, I remember um, anytime I would lose something to your story about your mother, uh, we Saint would pray Jude. to St. Anthony. I thought it was St. Anthony. <laughs> oh, St. Anthony. Is it St. Anthony? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember if it's St. Anthony. It's St. Anthony. Yeah, if you lose something. The, um, uh, and then St. Jude is when you're really in distress and you need to turn to someone kind of like your prayer, which I'm going to look that prayer up because I need it, um, was St. Anthony. And she would always say, if you lost something, just pray to St. Anthony. It'll it'll come. It'll appear. It'll show up. And it always did. So this one time I lost my pot, a little <laughs> bag of pot. And uh, I told my friend, I was on the other line with my friend, and I was like, oh, my God, I cannot fucking find it anywhere. I know I had it in a little baggie. I know. I swear to God, I thought it was in my desk. And she just said without, not even joking, just said, don't worry, Bridget. I'll say a prayer to St. Anthony. I go, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. And she's like, huh? I don't get why. And I was like, you're a lapsed Catholic. That You can't do that. And then I would say five minutes later, I found it. And then I go, I found it. She's like, yeah, I know. I, say, I asked St. Anthony. I said a couple of prayers to St. Anthony in the past five minutes. I'm like, motherfucker, he does find anything. That <laughs> he care is what it hilarious. Is. Yeah, yeah. And I started taking it to another level. I would go to a bar be like, please, St. Anthony, help me find that hot man that I want to hook up oh with tonight. Yeah, and I just took it to another level. Go. I was like, well, he doesn't seem to care what I'm asking for. I will find it. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> he, he might be a little lax on those. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, my middle name is Gerard, which is such a weird name, but it's because he's the patron saint of healthy pregnancies, of oh successful gosh. healthy pregnancies. And over the course of my life, I've met 
several other people whose middle name is Gerard for really? the exact same reason. Because their their you know parent their mothers got a little concerned at some point right. in the pregnancy and and offered That's it to Saint wild. Gerard. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. I can't believe you met other people with the oh, same yeah. middle name. Yeah. Do you guys yeah. have like a Facebook page? <laughs> a little group? <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that I became so attracted recently to Taoism because mm. it is this sort of spiritual path that is everything all the other ones aren't. There's no rules. There's no deity. There's very much like... Just following your inner voice. There's very much like a, um, like the, all of the strictures and the guilt and the shoulds and shouldn'ts and all of that oh is not God. there. Instead, it's very much just uh, encouraging people to observe nature, try to be yeah. more like nature, and try to be truer to your own nature. You know, and just trust yourself. Yeah, like you're not the devil if you decide you want to do this and not that. Yeah, there should not be any you know, result, any bad result from that. Yeah. That's a thing I think we struggle with. Well, we just went down a, the rabbit hole of Catholicism. <laughs> what so, a rabbit hole it is. So, okay, so you're from Cincinnati. Uh-huh. What was it like living in Cincinnati? Did, do you think Cincinnati, your hometown, came into play with storytelling? It sounds like, to me, your storytelling really comes from um, having those two moments of being in school and telling the story and also that story in Peru. Well, there's one thing that is the biggest thing of all, and Cincinnati has everything to do with it. Mm -hmm. Cincinnati is an extremely Republican town. A mm -hmm. um, lot of old money there okay. that goes to the Republican Party. Uh, it's also an extremely Catholic town. Mm -hmm. And in the 1970s, it was reputed as being, well, I mean, they didn't even use the term back then, but it was very sex negative. The Maplethorpe trial happened there. Oh, my God. The um, Larry Flint trial happened oh there. Uh, whenever a play that was popular in the 70s would come to town like Hair or Equus, where there was mm -hmm. some nudity, the police would raid the place. Oh, Everyone would be thrown out in the street. It was a big news item. You couldn't display Playboy magazine or anything like that wow. in a bookstore it's in really Cincinnati. really conservative. So, yeah. Um, by the time that I was five, I had a very clear idea of what the words gay and mm -hmm. fag meant mm -hmm. in the way that kids use those words as slurs. Mm -hmm. uh, the, one of the kids next door literally sat me down and said, oh, yeah, yeah, the reason... We call people gay and fag it is because that's what you officially call someone a boy who likes boys instead of girls. Mm -hmm. So that's why it means disgusting and horrible and lame and terrible. Uh, that's not really explaining it. Well, I mean, to a kid who knows he's a boy who like who knows he's a boy who likes boys, yeah. that's devastating yeah. to hear, you know. Of course. And it's so funny because we're constantly hearing people say, "Oh, when I say gay or fag, I just mean lame or terrible or a joke or whatever. I don't necessarily mean gay." And it's like, here's a kid way back in 1975 yeah. telling me no, that's exactly why those right. two things are synonymous. Yeah, you know you what I mean? That's where them. that comes from. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I grew up terrified of myself, of something inside of me. I God. thought that I was warped. I thought that I was deformed inside. I thought right. that I was going to hell for sure. Jesus. Um, and I thought that if anyone ever found out, 
they would no longer love me or I'd be shunned or, you know, I'd lose my family, all that kind of stuff. So I grew up terrified. That's horrible. But what I did was I I developed the comedian's self-defenses. I think most comedians at some point in their childhood uh, realized, oh, I can make other people laugh and control that Mm -hmm. so that. I, I, you know they're gonna You're be la- they're gonna they laugh like at me anyway. Okay. But if I but if I can control how and why, why they're laughing, they're laughing yeah. at me, then you know That's it's not so bad, right? Because you can't totally hate someone you're laughing at or laughing right. about or with. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's still an appreciation there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I became the class clown, and it it was my way of hinting at people. I'm weird, but I'm still likable. Right. Which, when you think about it, is exactly what I still do to this day on Risk. Right. You know, when I tell a story like Kevin goes to kink camp, <laughs> I, it, the audience like they're gonna hear about like on the show they're gonna hear about piss drinking and blood play and all these like shocking things. Right. right. Uh, but. <laughs> But the guy telling the story sounds so friendly. <laughs> I know. The dichotomy between the two is like this very friendly, sweet, redheaded, big smile, warm voice. Yeah. You know? I grew up really feeling like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Because <laughs> you are. <laughs> I am. I am. And the, and I think that I think that in my, you know, in the last third of my life, now that I'm about to turn 50 next year, I think that that really is the continuing project of finding a way to be okay with both of yeah. those things and mixing and melding right. them. Yeah. Just having full ownership over that yeah. now. Like, this is something the that you were the dark, able to control. The strong, yeah, the it's weak, there, yeah, all and they're of it. both your, your strengths and your weaknesses are both strengths at a certain point because now they're coming together and they're making up the person and the character that you are. Yeah. So, it's, I think age is so important. Like, just each year, I'm just like more aware. I'm just giving myself more slack. Yeah. Becoming more honest. So, yeah. And for story, better, for worse. Storytelling and podcasts like this are a really great tool for doing that, you know? It is. Because yeah. stories can have lots of mixed feelings in them. Yeah. Yeah. Or like you're saying, someone telling a story and then having the aha moment as they're delivering the story at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, that's a little, that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's important. It is. So what's next for you? I, I did want to ask you, um, so Risk is on the road, right? Now, do you, I see that it's on the road, but how often is it on the road? Or do you just kind of have L.A., New York? Do you go to these towns? Yes. What we do is we have one show a month in New York, one show a month in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. It's David Crabb who yes. hosts and produces the show we out in Los Angeles. Yes. Uh, I host and produce the show here in New York, but with a lot of help from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And we do a, at least two other cities each month, sometimes three, sometimes four. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, what we'll do is we'll say, hey, St. Louis, we're coming to town in mm-hmm. four months. So start pitching us your stories. And then we'll get about 20 pitches or so, and we'll okay. start narrowing it down until we get four. And we try to curate an evening of the show so that there's a hilarious story, mm-hmm. there's a shocking story, there's a beautiful, you know, like we like That's to go good. all over you the like map. like the range. Yeah. yeah. Um, and those, those tour shows, I just love. I go out on the road to, to host those shows. You do? Okay. Yeah. How do you choose the cities that you want to go to? Because you did say when you go to, like, say, Indiana, you're finding those kind of these nice folks that are kind of not I, I don't want to use the, uh, the word untainted but less prepared so maybe you're getting more of a raw story from them a very genuine kind of story so how do you choose these cities it's 
the most amazing thing, podcasts tell you which cities you have the most people listening. Okay. They show you your downloads. So, so yeah, we we really base the, it on who, where, where do we have the biggest listenership? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's your biggest uh, listenership outside of New York and L.A.? Uh, probably San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, not surprised, Austin, not surprised, Chicago. Not surprised. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, if you said something like somewhere in Utah, right, or Oklahoma, I'd be like, really? The ones I love are and and see. Because of work visas and stuff like that, it's very mm-hmm. hard to take the show on the road, like, overseas. Oh, yeah. No, no. But we have a lot That's of a listeners in, like, Tokyo, you know, for oh, example, which is amazing. I love the Japanese, man. They're yeah. always into, like, just really cool stuff. Yeah. They, like, they love jazz. They love skateboarding. They love risk. Like, they're just cool. <laughs> I love the Japanese, man. Yeah, there are definitely, you know, there are places like Berlin, for example. Oh, uh, yeah. Or okay. London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, so, so, so we do. So I was going to, I'm interrupting for a second because when I first came on, I was going to, I was going to be like, Kevin the Risk is, is Dan Savage meets the moth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But now that we're talking, it's not all that. It's not those types of shocking stories. There's that, which we all, I mean, I love. But there's also, like you're saying, there's all, all these other layers to it. Yeah, and it's not it, all it's, about crazy. No, risk is about coming out about whatever it is that was most emotional for you and that you mm-hmm. feel most needs unpacking. So yeah, we've had stories about, you know, a fella who uh, would have to rescue children from sex slavery. Oh and my God. Like, like I can't even. That's heavy. I don't even want to say what he witnessed, you know? No. Um, we've had stories about, uh, you know, rape or um, we've had, you know, gorgeous stories about people, you know, falling in love and then and then the, the other person dying, you know, mm-hmm. like. So we've had we're all over human experience, you know, heroin addiction, okay. that kind of thing where, you know, families dealing with uh with real tragedy. Uh, so we're all over the map. One, oh, and so, funny stuff. Yeah, one of my all-time favorites, I've listened to a lot of yours, um, of the episodes, still to this day, is the Lily Taylor. Oh, God, Lily Taylor's now, story about, about her father. Just, had... Your stuff's really provocative. Hers was surprisingly provocative. I just didn't see it coming. So Yeah, before those kind people of... even really knew what bipolar was. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. Still kind of just shocking and she just she just laid it out. Like we all just assume, oh, actresses, even if they're indie actresses or actors, they've got their stuff together, they had a nice life, but then you hear a story like this, you're like, That is some that's some serious stuff. Yeah. Very visual, just really and just no shame about telling the story. So that was one of my favorites. Yeah. It's a beauty. Yeah. That's in the Risk book, too. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, because one of my other favorite moss stories was uh, the guy from DMC. I was like, I'm not, I like, you know, just the guy that gets up and tells a story or a girl that you don't know, and all of a sudden they wow you with something. But it's also been the celebrities that come up that they have a really wonderful story, and you're thinking, you know what, they're just as human as I am. You know what the best instance of that for us was? We have so many, like, We've become shyer and shyer and shyer about working with celebrities over the years just because okay. it's so hard. You Is have it, to okay. like you have to like wrangle them wrangle and them and seduce and, them. And they don't want to workshop stuff with you, et cetera, et cetera. But when Trevor Noah first it was his first Which one's or, Trevor Noah, why uh, from the Daily me? Show. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. The current host of the Daily Show. Okay. He, but this was long. This was long before when he was, you know, uh, he was a successful stand-up comedian, but not yet on that level of fame. 
But he came to do the Risk Show in New York, and he had prepped, he had prepared this very funny story about his high school years with me on the phone. Mm-hmm. And I had told him the usual boilerplate, oh, here's where people can tell stories that they're not going to tell elsewhere, and people really, you know, unpack stuff here. It's like the kind of stories you would share with a the therapist. And he was like, okay, okay, okay. So he prepared this funny story about high school. Then he started listening to the show backstage, mm-hmm. and he heard how he was like, oh, you weren't kidding. People really bear their souls on this yeah. show. He said, do you mind if I switch to something else and just improvise You're something? Like, Please do. I was like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and he tells this story about his mother is, was dating this abusive man who ended up shooting her in the head. <gasps> And how he had to help wow. his mother get better and the financial struggles oh they had God. to deal with around it all. And meanwhile, being terrified of this man and that had shot her in the head. he's a teenage boy at this point, yeah. taking care of his mother. Yeah. And so this that's, just that's came out of him that yeah, night. God. And I was like, wow, you are the rare celebrity <laughs> that like actually got yeah. it and brought it right. like that. Yep. Yeah. The yeah. element of surprises that people bring is just the best part, I yeah. think, about storytelling. Yeah. So I feel like I should be riskier now and get away from kind of my, like, safe sex, drug, rock and roll stories. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Why yeah, not? The, it's a good thing to ask yourself, like, okay, people have learned to expect this from me. Right. Now, what have what have I been shy about actually yeah. saying? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, I'm finishing up my graduate program here in memoir. And they, they're, you know, most of the students know my work and my teachers, and they're laughing. And they're like, "You should have a one-man show." And then, they also said, "These are funny, but you're very disconnecting. Like, there's constantly this wall. You're not being vulnerable. Like, you can't constantly be this funny or looking for this much harm to come into your life." And I'm thinking, "What do they know?" And then one time, he said, "You know, we're just going to write for the next ten minutes." And I wrote. And that piece that I wrote was published like two months later, and there was nothing funny about it. And I was wow. like, maybe I do do that. Maybe because you know, people in class were like, that hit. Here's the thing <laughs> I help people tell these kind of stories all day long, all week long. Yeah. I think I could use someone like that in my life. I think yeah. that I should maybe hire yeah. a writing coach, you know, someone yeah. to to be held accountable who, Pull it who, out who can you. call me on my shit and Absolutely. be like because I once took this class with the guy who directs Mike Birbiglia's shows. Okay. And I He's told great. uh Seth Barish. Okay. Um and I told the story in his class about the first time I prostituted myself, right. uh, which is a very, very funny story. I it's a comedy of errors, Kevin. right? It's I a typical kind of kinky stories. Kevin story, right? Uh, but there's, and, of course, it's going to be a dark side to prostituting yourself, and that's Kevin. What, that's exactly what he said. Seth Barish was like, "Okay, I feel like something else must have happened later that week or the next week. Like, right. I feel like there's some something more to this prostitution story." And I said. Well, yeah, I actually did it again the next night, and it was kind of devastatingly sad. And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, we need to hear that story, nice. too. <laughs> yeah, you have to shed, you have to shed that skin. And yeah. I think it's hard for people like ourselves that, you know, we love comedy, we do comedy, we our stories are comical. It, you, I just feel very naked if I were to not tell a funny story, but because of class... I'm noticing people were really uh, craving this from me because now they're getting to know you, right? They've seen a couple of renditions of your work. You've had a couple of classes with them. Now you trust these people. It's yeah. a small group of people. And you're giving them – there's – 
you're in your writing is such an insular thing. So you're constantly in your head with the memories. Like you said, there's like these memories and they're kind of swooshing around and you're like, this is how it happened. And then when you start opening up more and going a little bit deeper, you're like, no, this is why it happened. Yes. Um, and that can be a hard thing to um, face. But, you know, it's over now and, and now it's facing. But it's it's more there's more realness to that than just putting on a facade of like this was funny. And then even my teacher was like. You flipped your car. Like, that's not funny. Like, right. no, I was fine. But, like, again, he's like, no, but, and right away, because, like, no, right away, you go, no, but I was fine. Like, right away, you always right. want us to be fine. You always want us to be fine. Like, it's okay. It's okay. He's like, you cannot have done all that stuff in your life without either somehow seeking to get hurt or, like, what are you running from? Oh. Why are you seeking these things out? And then all of a sudden, I started writing. I'm like, holy shit. Holy shit. And he's like, you can still be funny, but you got to give us something else in there. Because we're kind of like, this is funny, but it all seems very kind of One surface note. level. Yeah. And You know, here's an interesting thing. To take that macro and put it into the micro, I've noticed that most of the shows that Seth Barish directs, not uh -huh. just Mike Birbiglia, but, but other ones, and as well as Hannah Gadsby. Uh, oh, my God. God. I've <gasps> noticed that what those. Was that? What was her last performance? Nanette. Nanette. That. Kevin, I've never seen anything that I loved more or hit me so hard in my entire life. I just had shills. I remember watching it, didn't know what to expect. I, no one had told me about it. Watched it, first time I've ever seen her. As soon as it ended, I was like, did that just actually happen? And I've never done this before. I played it again. Oh, that's fabulous. I just. I have to check it out again. Because God. those are well worth. You know, what a wonderful person. Yeah. What a wonderful show. Peace. What you what I noticed about it was that those do those shows do start funny. Yeah, you know what I mean. Those yeah. shows do start like just yeah, like just like laughing. just like you in your class. Yeah, the person is kind of introducing themselves to us and get, warming us up yeah. to okay. You're beginning to like me. You're beginning to trust me. Right. And and they're and they're if they're they're opening up more and more as they yes. go. And, and that's the thing. Like there have been stories people have shared on risk. I don't want to say like there was there was once a story about someone who was going through through something incredibly tragic, mm -hmm. and it looked like it might continue to be incredibly God, tragic. You know terrible. what I mean? Like like there's no I, end in sight just yet. Right? For this exactly. Person. Exactly. Right. Um, and he just couldn't stop making jokes throughout the whole yeah. because he was a, he was also a stand up comedian. And He's protecting himself too. The audience just the risk audience is just like no, we're not no. we're not coming for that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like like they so, saw right through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. I mean, you have to give people benefit of the doubt. Like there's the audience is ten times smarter than you think they are. Like they can see through shit. Yeah. So just just be honest. Just be genuine. Yeah. As much as you're comfortable being. Yeah. But yeah. This is a, this was good, Kevin. This is great. This, this is a, a fabulous session. conversation. Therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> How we cover up all of our shit with with comedy and grew up Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys, and a special thank you to Dan Walnicki, our audio engineer, and Jared Bruder, designer and founder of the Dandy Group, who designed our logo. See you next time.